Welcome to Those Hard Conversations. A platform dedicated to discussing solutions to the issues facing our most vulnerable and marginalized communities. We use a harm reduction approach to explore practical strategies for positive change in communities facing undeniable challenges. Hello, everyone. Welcome to those hard conversations. I'm Elvis Rosado. I'm Clayton Rowley. And today, you know, Clayton, um, not in my backyard. What about that? Well, not in my backyard, a.k.a. NIMBY, uh, is typically something that, you know, we in uh, our community uh, face uh, a lot of times. It's basically when folks you know, claim that they want help for people, which I actually believe they do, but they don't want the help to happen in their area, in their backyard. So uh, especially when you're dealing with like harm reduction related services, uh, which can include syringe services, which can include, um, you know, overdose prevention, uh, which can include help for sex workers, um, but obviously has other, you know, long ranging uh, types of services that can be beneficial, not just for the people we serve, but for everyone, uh, like drug treatment and housing, whether it's recovery housing, shelter, halfway housing. There's a lot of opposition. And that's typically on the not in my backyard. Why does it have to be in my neighborhood? Why can't it be someplace else? Despite the fact you- that live the issues are happening in their backyard. What do you think fosters that mentality? Um, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, I think people are definitely uh, stressed out and strained and beaten down from uh, a war on drugs mentality, a war on people mentality. Um, I think that sometimes folks in the neighborhood take on the exact people that they claim to not uh, like as far as, you know, wanting to judge others when they don't want to be judged. Um, I also think they take the negatives out of situations uh, instead of taking the, the, the what's happening now and how it could be better if there's actually more resources as compared to less resources. I think some folks, you know, they do just want to get rid of people um, and, you know, they're not thinking about the fact that that approach has actually been happening to get rid of people and let's just like you know, not give people anything and think that it's going to change. That's been happening for a really long time. Um, yeah. And it has not worked. So, you know, I, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball to get inside the heads of everyone who feels that way. But, um, you know, I think the other thing I'll say is I think folks would want the things that they're passionate about to be put on the front burner first um, so the fir- the person who's complaining about them not being resources for children, and then you tell them that you're going to do something for people who use drugs and that are in the neighborhood or are from the neighborhood or live in the neighborhood, they'll say, well, why don't we have what we want first um, as compared to what you're trying to give us first? And they'll say, do that someplace else. Give us what we want first, which yeah. uh, is, you know, 
fairly understandable, like, but long term, especially when you're dealing with an epidemic as far as like opiates go, um, it, you know, honestly, you have to have both. You can't just have one. And the one being prompted is probably because of a real danger uh, to the individuals themselves um, that aren't you, but also the overall community, which is you. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And I, and I find it kind of interesting because so there a couple of things, you know, you have individuals who they want change in their community, but they want it swift and, 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 and brutal. And they don't want to play a part in it. They don't want anything to do with it. They want somebody else to come in and clean up the problem and give them their community nice and clean. And because, you know, they want their property value to go up. They feel that some of these individuals bring down the property value. And ironically enough, some of these uh, some of these same individuals have at some point possibly been denied or rejected in another community because that community saw them coming in and thinking, you're going to bring my property value down. You know, I don't want you living in my neighborhood. You're going to, you know, there goes the neighborhood, as they say. But it's been a, it's been um, kind of interesting to watch because. You have, um, for instance, you have a population of people that have been around for a long time. You know, they were hidden at one point because we had so many abandoned factories and so many abandoned buildings that they were out of sight, out of mind. They were also underground, literally underground. And underground, literally, yes. By the railroad tracks um, that recently got raised. And now, you know, not to cut in front of you too hard, but now the fact that they're above ground because there is no railroad tracks and there isn't as many abandoned properties now makes it seem to most, you know, other folks like it's a brand new phenomenon. And the issue yes. is that it's not a brand new phenomenon. They're not just people who all of a sudden came out of nowhere. They've been here. They just were, you know, under the uh, under your radar and in some cases they were in your radar and yet if they weren't personally affecting you uh it didn't matter to you to the point that it matters right now yeah and 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 i mean it comes down to uh, and this is this is kind of ironic because basically the way they were living has been talked about creating the same environment but with a lot with access to health healthcare professionals and they're totally against it. But when they were living under the railroad tracks and, uh, you know, under the bridges on the railroad tracks, and then when, we're, when they were living in abandoned buildings, they had their own little space where they were using and they weren't bothering anybody because they were out of sight, out of mind. And like you said, now that that's been disrupted and they've been forced out into the general public, people have this, oh my God, this happened overnight and it's this, this organization's fault and it's these people's fault. And, you know, they did this to us and they brought these individuals here. And it's like, no, they were always here and they can still be here and have their own space as well. For instance, with a safe consumption site and they would be monitored and they would not be all up in your face and using everywhere and, and, you know, and falling out all over the place. But people like they want a solution. They want, they don't want this as, as we say in their backyard, not in my backyard, but you need to help those people and you need to do this and you need to do that. And I won't get into the actual name of the group, but you already know that you've had the experience where somebody suggested 
putting them on an island or creating a concentration camp type of situation and just bust them all there and put them behind fences. And, you know, everybody wants a quick solution, but the solution is how is it going to benefit me, not the individuals that are suffering? Yeah. How about you we know, take a 50-50 <clears throat> split and try to say what benefits both of us and not just me? We're not even dealing with, you know, a lot of people that, you know, are, you know, you know, not willing to give to the other side. But, you know, it's also like it's one side on the, or the other for, you know, that party. And uh, that's not how progress is made. Progress is typically going to be a little bit slower and more arduous than um, many people would expect. And, you know, when you talk about the folks that, you know, are right now up in arms about the fact that it's never been this bad, quote unquote, um, like you mentioned, you know, you can do some things that would, you know, lessen the impact of folks who are already in the community now being more pronounced in the community. But the not in my backyard mentality is, well, that's enabling people. Um, we'd be allowing people to do things that are supposed to be illegal uh, indoors. Um, why don't they just pull themselves up by the bootstraps and, you know, stop using and stop being homeless and get a job and get help and then everything would be all right. Like that hasn't been tried before, like that mentality hasn't been here for, uh, you know, and in most places for the last, you know, 50, 60 years, as long as there's been a war on drugs type of mentality and policies that have been put towards that mentality. Um, you know, you don't want people to be on the streets, but you also don't want people to have access to housing opportunities in your backyard, in your neighborhood. Yeah. But you'll complain about, you know, people sleeping out on, you know, on, you know, major arteries in the neighborhood. You'll complain about them being, you know, by public transportation stops, but you don't want to put storefront buildings and appropriate them for, you know, a shelter or for recovery housing, for halfway housing. You complain about, you know, trash being on the streets and, you know, you still are struggling mightily to, uh, you know, make sure that there's enough trash receptacles to get, you know, the amount of trash, uh, you know, to be a place that folks can throw out trash, not to mention trash pickup being not as, you know, great as I think everyone would like it to be. Um, you, you know, complain about, uh, you know, litter related to syringes and other things, uh, other harm reduction items being on the street. Uh, but when there's been pushes for, you know, one way in mailboxes similar to post office boxes where you can like literally dump those supplies in there, it goes into a bucket and then gets picked up in certain neighborhoods. There's been pushback around having those. Uh, but where are the unintended consequences of everything that I just mentioned? Trash is still on the street. People are still laying out, hanging out on the street. People are still using drugs on the street. Um, people are, you know, are still, you know, dropping, uh, you know, syringe and also other harm reduction based litter on the street when all of it, I would say, would be unnecessary if we just uh, open up, you know, our minds and our hearts to the 
in my backyard mentality instead of the not in my backyard mentality. You understand what yeah, I'm saying, I mean, Elvis? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a given. You know, the problem is already in your yard. Why can't the solution be there as well? You know, I I and I and I've asked this question of of police officers and other in the individuals, and I've been told I have to go through the district attorney's office and find out. So I have to figure out how that's going to work out. But even with the sense of they do a drug raid and they take the the money from the dealers, and let's say you know last uh, two what was it last year the year before they took. They did a raid and they got a million dollars out of Kensington. That money obviously came out of the people that are there and suffering there. Why not reinvest that money to help in that community? You know, and it's like if if you have a problem in your backyard, again, why can't the solution be in your backyard as well? Help those individuals, you know, give them an opportunity to become um um, integrated into the community, treat them like people, and you may have, you may see them differently if they feel different. Because the reality is, is that, you know, here's a prime example: a young lady stops me, and I think I've, I've shared this with you before. But a young lady stopped me coming when I was coming out of a pharmacy, and asked me, "Could she do a, a sexual favor for me for five dollars?" And I said, "No." I said, "But I'll give you the five dollars if you let me give you a hug." And she says to me, why would you want to hug somebody like me? I'm dirty. You know, look at me. I'm horrible. I'm disgusting. And I said, I don't see that. I see a woman. I see a person who is struggling right now, but I see the person first. And she came over and I gave her a hug and she started crying. And she said to me, you have no idea how long it's been since somebody's hugged me. And as we start to walk away, she starts walking beside me and she's using her hand to tap her chin up. And she said, hey, look, I may be dirty and tore up right now, but at this moment, you made me feel like a woman again. And I feel I feel special. And just something as, as simple as giving somebody a hug was uplifting. So, you know, when we give people food and when we give people clothing <clears throat> and when we treat people like human beings, their demeanor changes, their attitude changes, the way they behave changes. So imagine having a group of homeless people or people who have little to no access to shelter, but you can't really tell because they're not, you know, carrying like 10 pounds of dirt on them and smelling like, like feces because they went on themselves. They have, if they have access to clean water and they have access to clothing and food and somewhere to lay down at night, they're going to be a different person. And that might contribute to changing the look of the community that you're complaining about. You know, how about you come outside and you sweep the front of your house and your neighbors do the same. That changes the way your neighborhood looks. You can't blame the individuals that are struggling on the street that have absolutely nothing when you have so much and you're doing nothing with it to contribute to, you know, to better beautifying or bettering the community. Yeah, definitely, Elvis. And that story was one that I had heard about, but it hits me every time because I think it speaks to the power of connections. It speaks to the power of treating humans like human beings and not, you know, pieces of trash or not people to feel sorry for 
you know, by itself or by, you know, by themselves. Um, yeah, we, I think, have an amazing opportunity uh, in neighborhoods like Kensington, neighborhoods all around the country, honestly, all around the world to um, be more inclusive, uh, to really get past the, you know, what are other people doing for me, which certainly matters, but also think, what can I do for myself? Um, when we talk about Kensington, when we talk about Philadelphia, let's recognize in context, we are, Philadelphia is the largest major city uh, in the country or the country with the most, the city with the most poverty, uh, major yeah. city in the country. Um, also recognize that the 19134 zip code, as I've probably said a couple of times in previous uh, shows, uh, it's the most impoverished uh, part of, of Philadelphia, uh, you know, as far as zip code goes. Yep. Um, it did not start from, you know, just people using drugs. Uh, there is a, a lack of educational opportunities. There's a lack of employment opportunities. Uh, and, you know, this is not to say that this is not a proud uh, neighborhood, a neighborhood that has uh, not brought in anything to the table. There's a lot of greatness that has come from this community. But I think also we uh, have to realize that there are some shortcomings that, yes, can be worked on from the outside, but it has to be worked on from the inside, too. And you can't expect that every provider of service and every city agency focus on you you know, to the point where you feel like you don't have to focus on yourself either. When you talk about things like trash, when you talk about things like access to resources, well, I can definitely speak to the access of resource, not being because the city has never paid attention and said, hey, we need more resources in this community. I can say that in part, it's also because people in the community have a not in my backyard mentality and feel like the resources that are being provided, if it's not about me and what I'm concerned about 100%, is not worth you know having in the community at all. Um, and a lot of them could be springboards to opportunities. Um, let's say, for instance, you have you know a, a couple of house storefront you know houses or storefront business uh, you know buildings that you could turn into a respite or a shelter, that you can turn into an access place for treatment, that you can turn into uh, a, a food, uh, you know, a place where folks can get food regularly, like a, a you know, a, a pantry or a soup kitchen. Doesn't that bring more jobs to the neighborhood? Doesn't that allow folks who once were eating outside to now eat inside, which means less trash? Uh, doesn't that mean that folks who were once sleeping outside, um, you know, are now sleeping inside? So you're not finding, you know, the the book bags and the clothing and the blankets. You're not seeing people on the street as often. It's not going to eradicate poverty. It's not going to eradicate, you know, homelessness all in one shot. But I definitely am a believer of vacant buildings means more, you know, concern. If you, yeah. you know, drive up and down Kensington Avenue, you're seeing, you know, corner store, convenience store, liquor store, fast food store, maybe a barbershop, uh, maybe an electronics store. But you're seeing a lot more still vacant buildings or buildings, especially during COVID, that not, are, are not open for business. 
And that leads to more folks feeling like they are empowered to camp out and be in those areas. Uh, and all those above mentioned businesses, I didn't mention, you know, job readiness, you know, uh, programs. I didn't mention, you know, uh, a treatment facility. I didn't mention all the things that we've talked about as being positive things to a neighborhood. I think a neighborhood like Kensington could be the model of what uh, change is in Philadelphia for the rest of the the city. And I think, you know, very the much the country, uh, if it yeah. wanted it to be, like you said, uh, you know, if the problem is in your backyard, then who knows better how to help the people than the people in the backyard? Um, you know, it's like Sun Tzu's Art of War. You don't go into someone else's neighborhood and try to, t- or someone else's, you know, town, country, uh, you know, residents and try to tell them what to do per se. But you also have to have that buy-in that um, people are going to genuinely accept that there is a problem and it needs to be tackled and it needs to be tackled here. Um, and also, if you are a believer, and we have a lot of people that are definitely believers that, well, these people aren't from here and they came here and why should we have to pay for them? I don't know how having less services promotes folks leaving the neighborhood, even if you don't believe they're your true community members because they don't have a house here, uh, even though I'm strongly and I know you are believers that unhoused people, neighbors are still neighbors. Even if you're not a believer of that, how do you think giving people absolutely no resources in the community in which they are residing in, whether they're unhoused or not, is going to promote them actually getting themselves together to actually leave the neighborhood and go back to where you want them to go back to? So it's kind of mind boggling that folks on the one hand want to say, well, these folks don't need to be here, but also don't want to provide them that first step up, that second step up, that third step up to get them to a place where they can actually make that decision. Denying people access to services and resources does not promote more, uh, you know, moving or more, you know, fluidity. It promotes less fluidity. It promotes them being stuck where they are. And if where they are is your neighbor, then that's exactly where they're going to be. Yeah. And this is, and it's, and it's that whole, like, I mean, you mentioned, let me say this, you mentioned believers. And for me, you know, I've had to have these conversations with churches and people of different faiths who are like these people and these drug users. And, you know, why are they here? And they probably say it a little bit harsher than that, don't they? Oh yes. Oh yeah. No, no, it definitely (laughs) comes out a lot harsher than that. But my thing is, you know, and one of the one of the, the 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 techniques that I've used to get them a little bit um, uncomfortable and and to check themselves is these are the lepers of our generation. If you want to look at it from a from a biblical standpoint or from a faith standpoint, you know, once upon a time in this on this planet, there were people with leprosy who were shunned, and you wanted them to live in caves, and nobody wanted to touch them. And they were disgusting and we don't want to see them. We don't want them in our community. And that's the same mentality that has been taken with this group of individuals, with these individuals that are suffering, you know, uh, uh, from substance use disorder and a, a bunch of other things, because there's a lot of people out there with mental health issues. You know, mental health, mental health issues is not something that you just get up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it goes away. You know, trauma is not something that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it goes away. You have to give individuals 
the therapy. You have to give individuals access to medical care. You have to give people treatment in order for them to change. <clears throat> I wrote something a long time ago that says, if a man is born, if a man falls into a well, you throw him a rope and you pull him out. But if the man is born in the well, you literally have to climb into that well and show them the way out. And, you know, we have some people that were born into this, you know, and this is the only lifestyle they've known. You know, and some people fell into it. But we're dealing with we're dealing with individuals. The whole not in my backyard mentality is I don't even want to throw you a rope. I don't want I'm not going to climb in there, let alone throw you a rope to pull you out. You know, but I want you to get out. But if the person doesn't know how to get out, how do you expect them to figure it out? Because that old adage just says, you only know, you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. And some people don't know or don't believe or don't have the hope or the, or the faith to believe that they can stop using, that their life can change, that they matter. You know, I saw something on Facebook earlier and talking about a kid that some of us knew and, you know, remembering him and, and the fact that somebody asked him, where are your parents? And he yells out at the top of his lungs, yo, pop. And his father answers, his father was out there with him, you know, and how it must be difficult to, for somebody in that situation to feel that there's hope when their father is in the same exact situation as they are, or they're in the same situation their father's in, you know, and these are the things that not in my backyard mentality doesn't look at. They look for quick fixes. They want quick solutions. They just want people gone. And the reality is, is that we need to be able to go in one, one person at a time and meet people's needs where they're at and try to figure out then from there, what is it that you need for us to be able to bring you one step closer to you feeling that your life matters a little bit more today or to make you so that you're not um, at the verge of death, so that you're not you know, risking killing yourself every time you use, or so that you're not losing a limb, or that you're not being assaulted because you're sleeping on a bench. You know, these are all the, the things that never get taken into consideration. I remember being at a, at a community meeting where the whole room spoke. <clears throat> there was probably 18, 19 people there. And everybody had something negative to say about the individuals that were out there. There was even a representative from the Salvation Army who said, you know how you know how, how hard it is that every morning when we come to work, we have to shoo the homeless people from our front stoop? And I looked at the person and I said, wow. you guys are the Salvation Army. Right. This is what you do. You exist to help people who are destitute, but apparently you're only helping people that had it together and lost it, not people who've been already you know, or lost it because of fires or floods, not somebody who's suffering because they have mental illness or they have a substance use disorder and, and they're on the street. You know, and I said, and I find it interesting that no one in the room, not one person mentioned the fact that individuals are being attacked. You know, in the middle of winter, they get water thrown on them. They get set on fire. You know, I recently talked to this guy at McPherson who said somebody came in the middle of the night and tied his tent up and tried to literally tie him up inside of his tent while he was sleeping. You know, and this is stuff that goes like, there's no justice for these individuals because 
no one is there's no no one patrolling or saying we need to protect these individuals that are sleeping outdoor because once again it is a mentality that what these people are doing is illegal so whatever happens to them they had it coming to them and that is one of the dangers that i feel that not in my backyard mentality or disassociating humanity with this population brings you know you can victimize these individuals and kill them if necessary and no one is going to do anything to you because you know they were doing they did it to themselves they were living this way anyway blah 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 yeah it's the same mentality that had as you mentioned earlier the people in the neighborhood now uh you know feeling like less than when they were the new kids on the block when they were the ones that you know the previous residents thought were dangers to you know their their way of living when are we going to break this cycle when are we going to recognize that you know we are all in general trying to live uh, a peaceful life uh, you know humane dignified uh, and successful life and that us knocking each other us feeling better because we you know have a little bit more money or are of a certain skin color or you know have this type of car it doesn't you know make up for being a, a, a good you know human being to our fellow neighbors housed or unhoused like what what about you denying people's access to services makes you a better person um where does you saying no we don't want this in our in our neighborhood in our backyard how does that help people get better does it help the crap and piss go away does it help you know the people laying out on the streets go away does it help the trash in the community go away and then on the flip side if you're going to be really hardcore about that also recognize that you stop you know in agencies and ideas from coming into the neighborhood because you think it brings trash and a whole bunch of other negatives into the neighborhood but you allow things to pop up in the neighborhood that clearly just as much and i would say even more bring more trash to the neighborhood um i mean one example that just pops to my head is the fact that we had um uh, uh we had a, a building uh, that housed uh, an arts and culture program recently get shut down due to zort, uh, zoning issues. Um, it was made for mm. you know selling of goods, at least zoning wise, quote unquote, and it was being used as a you know collaborative art space where folks, typically homeless, sometimes of the drug using population, or a lot of times the drug using population used to come in, you know, they might get some snacks, they might get some coffee, but they also did classes. They also did workshops and trainings around trauma and around, you know, um, you know, ways to make themselves better, mental health. Um, you know, there was a lot of organizations that came in and first off supported it to get started and also had members um, or as an organization supported it to exist. Um, it got a lot of people off the streets. I got a lot of people at least for an hour, two hours, or for a half an hour into some place where they felt welcome. And it was about expression. It was about giving, you know, folks who don't typically have those opportunities, that engagement that might promote them getting the help that they need. And 
basically the the neighborhood let be known that because it was serving this particular group of people in general, that it wasn't something that they wanted to continue because their people couldn't get access to the service. Even if it was being extended to them, they were too afraid to come into that area because of the people. Um, yeah. And so it wind up getting shut down, despite the fact that it was led by a really successful uh, city-funded and city-related relate- program, along with other area, you know, um, stalwarts, I would say, as far as services goes or presence. And yet, you know, as that's closing, probably within a two to three block strip, I'm seeing more of these single serve uh, convenience stores pop up where they're selling quarter bags of chips, where they're selling candy bars, where they're selling, you know, tobacco, uh, cigars, where they're selling blunt wraps, where they're selling sodas, a whole bunch of single serve items that if you don't have enough trash cans in the neighborhood and the people that are frequenting it um, don't buy in bulk, they're just going to typically get single serve items and discard of them in the neighborhood because there's not enough places for a discard of them. What was more uh, what was more, I guess, promoting of making a change in the community, a place that did arts and culture stuff and brought in, you know, you know, speakers and brought in poets and had folks express themselves or another basically stop and go store where folks can either get liquor or alcohol, or even if not that a whole bunch of single serve items that folks who don't have places to go, but the streets are just going to wind up using and typically discarding the, the on to back onto the streets. Um, I don't get where their approval came in for one, but there's not enough advocacy, at least from the external community around the need for that other one. You know, I think some things slip under the radar. And then when you hear about, oh, you know, this program that typically works with these people is trying to get an extension or continue operating. Then the whole community comes out and says, no, not in my backyard. We don't want to have it because it's not helping our people, my people. And and yeah, and but the, and, and let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, man. You know, you're talking about a, a a storefront that was opened up by four major. You know, there was a collaboration by four major entities, including the city. You know, and obviously when they opened it up and when permission was given and it was celebrated and there was all this media hype, they already knew what this storefront was and what it was going to be. I, you know, I, I have to be cynical and say that they probably thought this thing is going to fail miserably, you know? Right. Let's give it a try. Yeah, it's fine. You know, it's fine and dandy, blah, blah, blah. And when they realized it was being utilized, they were like, okay, we have development happening in the area. Yes. Uh, half a million dollar homes are starting to pop Gentrification. up. Gentrification. Yeah. And how is that going to look that we have a bunch of homeless drug users in a storefront, how is that going to help the other stores in the area or or buy you know buy in from investors to come in and open stores if this is here? You know because they've moved, they've opened up one, they're opening one up on on Allegheny that's similar, but this one's going to be for the community and not for the population that was being served at the storefront. 
So they they kept the concept. They changed the population that's going to use it, you know, and they moved it further away. So if these individuals decide they want to step in, they're nowhere near where the major development is happening. And I can't help but to think that, you know, there's there's buy in from some of the same people that are supposed to be helping this community because a lot of the members are saying, wait, this gentrification is going to bring up the value of this neighborhood. But these individuals are going to be a, 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 an obstacle to the people, you know, to the, to the developers, which is kind of ironic because, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, but the people that are buying the half a million dollar homes don't have a problem with the homeless people. It's the people that have been there for a while who want to be able to either bring their property value up because to some people... Let's be realistic. To some people, their property value is more important than any human life. Sad to say, it's true. And that's their concern. If I can bring the property value up, I can then, you know, get way more money for my house, you know, and I could probably sell it and move somewhere else. And then I don't care what happens here. You know, we've heard comments from people at meetings say, why don't you push them up to the boulevard? Let somebody else deal with them for a while. We, I was at a reading recently where somebody said, why can't we just bust them out of the neighborhood into other neighborhoods and let other neighborhoods and other areas share in the problem? Give them some of the homeless people. Let the homeless people live in their neighborhood for a while. Not trying you to know, solve so, the problem, but trying to address no. it to someplace else. Yeah. 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 Let's move it. Let's, let's treat them like cattle. Let's just move people here, move them there. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that it starts with simple um, interactions, common human decency, just basic human decency. You know, when when we talk about like when we talk about the trash, when we talk about the hepatitis A uh, epidemic or that you know problem that we had a couple of two years ago, two and a half years ago, people were against the bathrooms. Oh, now you want to give them bathrooms too? They're never going to leave. You know, we have a problem. Our kids are going to get hepatitis. We're going to get hepatitis A because of these people. And they're living disgusting. And these people, these people. Well, bathrooms got put in. Hand washing stations got put in. Vaccinations happened. And the hep A is not a problem anymore. But not one of them, as far as I know of, has come back. Not one of these community groups have come back and said, wow, that actually worked. Thank you. Right. You actually did something and protected our families and our kids and our community. No, it was like, okay. On to the next complaint. We're not going to touch it. Yeah, on to the next complaint. Let's move to the next complaint. Because there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about, you know, and, and, you know, glad that you put it out there as far as the, the, you know, the the storefront, you know, uh, operation went um, and property values. I think the sad thing that some folks don't realize is, by the time, you know, the property value goes up, when you talk about taxation for property, a lot of the folks won't be able to afford it. So they might not have a choice but to move out the community. And yeah. for some people, like they're trying to sell and don't care about the community, maybe that's a good thing for them, you know, like just get in and get out. And now I'll like move and keep the same mentality, which will likely lead to the same type of thinking someplace else. I'll take that someplace else with a little bit more money because, you know, now I've made it, quote unquote, financially. But 
for those folks who still can't afford to move, for those folks who actually, despite everything that's not, still see the beauty in the community that they've grown up in or have lived in for a long time, like for generations or generations, um, it's not going to solve the overall problem. The problem in Kensington and the 19134, for instance, is poverty and lack of opportunities, not just for yep. people who use drugs, but for the community at all and whole. Um, the lack of resources leads a lot of folks to gravitate towards doing risky behaviors. And that's not just on like the using side of things or the action side of things as far as like putting yourself out there. That's also you uh, being the facilitator of the use, i.e. the dealing, i.e. the the, the pimping, um, i.e. the hustling uh, in many uh, you know ways. Uh, when it comes to the neighborhood that some folks are just so um, hardwired to believe is the only way to get out. It's because we haven't given yeah. people all those opportunities in the neighborhood that they might see in other neighborhoods or they might never see because they never get out of the neighborhood because to yep. some people going downtown is like going to, you know, uh, Cape Cod, you know what I mean? Going to the, you know, King of Prussia Mall would be going to California um, in the, the sense that their their worldview is strictly about what they've seen and what they have the opportunity to see. And we're not giving overall, you know, the worldview that some folks, you know, should have. And therefore, they bog down and they do what's close to them, what's convenient to them on all sides of the spectrum. Um, and so, yeah, once again, a not in my backyard mentality can rear its ugly head because we don't understand that sometimes bigger picture and sound public health and sound science, um, especially that's been proven, not in Philadelphia specifically, but in places that are similar, like a New York City, like a Toronto, like a, uh, you know, San Fran, a Seattle, like you know, different places around the country and around the world and have proven successful while not 100% applicable to Philadelphia can be used as a guide to how Philadelphia can do things uh, and should be considered. They shouldn't be thrown out the door just because it's not Philly specific and you guys wouldn't understand. Well, have we tried it yet? Have we had a better solution for what we feel are the, the, the issues in the community? If not, can we give it a try? And, you know, the other part of it, Elvis, I'll say is that's also to me about as a community leader being responsible and having, as our podcast is called, those hard conversations with your community and your community members. I mean, a lot of times leadership is not just about, you know, pressing on what you want to do, but also pressing on the benefits of what other people are telling you are things that are work could work um, and, and, you know, should be given the opportunity to work. Um, and I think we certainly have seen leadership in some of these communities and in some of the meetings that are really more about telling folks what they don't want to see happen, either for their own personal worldview opinions about it or because it, the money's not shaking out in the way that they want it to shake out as far as them getting a benefit from it. And then it, so it's just a terrible idea in general, knowing that it could be the difference between life and death for some of the people in the areas in which they're supposed to be representing. 
Um, I truly yeah. believe if you have individuals who are supposed to be in positions of leaderships, having tough conversations with their constituents or with their, their staffers or with their neighbors around you know, the realities of what's currently happening, the fact that a lot of what has been currently happening has not worked and that there are options that we can take and let's put them on the table and decide what's best. But what we're not going to do is let people die. What we're not going to do is let people be neglected. What we're not going to do is continue to repeat the cycle of what we've been doing. What we're not going to do is be brainwashed by the same system that has hurt us as a community. The more people are willing to have those tough conversations and say, you know what, even if I'm not 100 percent fan of this solution that's being proposed, these are the benefits. These are the downfalls potentially of it. What are people's ideas for something different? Because if it's not something that I feel is feasible, I think we have to consider and actually start to implement some of these strategies. You know, do we want to have you know, uh, drug treatment programs in our neighborhood? Do we want to have homeless, you know, shelters in our neighborhood? Well, we wouldn't want to have homeless people in our neighborhood. We'd like everyone to be housed. But if we know that we have a problem, would we rather see people continue to be on the streets and us complain about it regularly? Or would we rather say, hey, people in the power, people in power, do what you have to do to make sure that I don't have to walk over people in my neighborhood you know, that my kids don't have to walk by people in my neighborhood that are doing things that I don't feel are savory. I'd rather folks be indoors and housed. I'd rather have folks who are fed indoors instead of being fed on the corner of the uh, of the local park. I'd rather have folks who are doing drugs do their drugs indoors instead of doing it by the transportation stop or by the, the library or by you know, the pharmacy that I go to regularly, then continue doing what we're doing. But it's really about having those hard conversations. Those hard conversations. I was going to say that it is about having those hard conversations because, you know, and and I'm I'm in my head and kind of smiling because people don't realize also that you have to let people know, you have to let people do what they know how to do, right? So, um, in our senses, we are we've done this for a while. We're harm reductionists. We understand we understand both sides, right? We understand that people are upset and they're angry and they're frustrated. <clears throat> but we also understand that not doing doing nothing at all or just bussing people around or moving them around is not working. And I and I stop to think. Imagine a football team that's playing and they have no equipment and they're getting injured every single game. And the coaches are saying the, 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 the audience is complaining that they're getting injured and the coaches are saying, well, we need to give them helmets and pads and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And the audience, it's continued. The, the fans are continually saying, we're not going to pay for that. We're not going to do that. They just need to do it better. They just need to, you know, play without getting injured. No, if you don't give people the means then, you know, we always have the analogy of nothing changes, nothing changes, you know. You know, I like the sports references, so you keep it coming, Elvis. (laughs) So, I mean, but it's 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 true. It's something that you can't go to somebody else's profession and say to them, I want you to do this like this. You can't tell a surgeon, I need you to operate me like this. You can't operate with a butter knife, Elvis. Yeah. You scalpel every once in a while, don't you? 
yeah. need a saw sometimes, yeah. and, right? And this is and this is the other, you know, the whole and you and you touched on this. There's people in these communities that have never left the five block radius. This is all they know. You know, I remember taking a group of kids to a Phillies game, 12th grade, 11th graders. And we were on the L train. And when we switched to the Broad Street line at City Hall, the first thing one of them asked me was, did we leave Philadelphia? And I was like, no, why? He says, we're on a second train. And I go, yeah, Philly is bigger than the five block radius that you live in. And you're talking about an 11th grader, 16, 17 years old, 18th in some cases, who had never been on the train past, you know, like had, had never gone to Center City or switched trains and didn't realize how big Philadelphia actually was. So you have these individuals who live like this, who think this is my little world. And as long as it's not within my little world, I don't care what happens around me. But the reality is, is that what's happening in 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 three four and what's happening in three five and what's happening in three three still impacts us. You know, it's about getting communities to realize the impact that they have within themselves to to establish that, and then so that that continues to spread to other other communities to those changes. Because, you know, to talk about what you mentioned earlier. You have individuals who are paying a half a million dollars for some of these new homes, right? They're getting a tax abatement of 10 years. The person who lives there, who's been living there, their property value just went up, but so did their taxes. And their taxes are not going to start in 10 years. Their taxes are going to start the next tax season because your property value went up. You now have to pay the same amount of taxes that that person who paid $500,000 for their home is going to pay in 10 years, you have to pay it now. And you can't afford it. So eventually you end up having to sell and move somewhere else because you can't afford to live here. So how about we help the population that's, that's, that's stuck and figure out, like you said earlier, meet halfway along, you know, do 50-50 and also say, hey, we want to be able to help those individuals. We need you guys help for us to be able to keep our homes. Let's fight to have your taxes reduced. Let's fight to get some of those taxes invested that, that you are paying, invested back into this community to help this population so that they can get on their feet, so that they can get better living conditions, so that they can get better access to just basic human decency or human rights. And it's like, no, I want them gone. And I want this and I want that. And I'll but you're doing absolutely nothing to help either yourself or them. No. So, you know, at some point we have to realize that one, you have to get involved Two, you have to allow change to happen and allow the people who know a little bit better about this to implement some of their ideas. Like I said earlier with the bathrooms, completely against it, completely against it, completely against it. We were able to get them in. They actually helped. And nobody wants to say, wow, you guys knew what you were talking about. We need to consider this a little more. Yeah. It but, reminds me of, yeah. you know, a study that was done just talking about the emphasis of syringe services in Philadelphia that George Washington did. And it came out a couple of years ago. And it basically said that over a 10 year period from 1993 to 2002, 
um, they estimated that over 10,000, I think about 10,598 yes. cases of HIV were avoided by having a syringe yep. service program in Philadelphia, i.e. Uh, Prevention Point Philadelphia. Um, and then they said, well, you know, basically for the treatment of someone who was HIV positive, they estimate, which I think is a low number of $230,000 for medication and treatment over the course of that person's lifetime. So basically, you were going to save about $240 million annually, and you were going to save about $2.4 billion over a 10-year period or was saved by yes. having that service. Now, I yes. think, you know, that speaks, you know, on the one hand to the impact of the work that's being done in harm reduction in Philadelphia, but also the need to be educated on the money saved and you know, what that money can do and where it's going to, because I, I yes. will understand that some folks will say, well, I didn't get that money. It didn't come to my hands. It didn't come into our pockets. So, you know, how do I know if that's, you know, A, accurate and B, you know, has anything to do with the cost of tea in China um, or in Kensington for that matter. Um, but I will remind folks that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, under or behind the scenes uh, issues that are being had in the city with so many other services. Like I said, the most impoverished large city, major city in the country. Could you imagine having to pay for 10,592 or 98 cases of people who are infected with HIV getting medication and treatment in Philadelphia in an already impoverished town? Um, if you can think about the fact that we have an educational system that is struggling, we have a sanitation system that is struggling, we have, you know, so many other programs in the city that are struggling, the money that is saved by programs like uh, Prevention Point and others that are doing harm reduction, you know, type work, um, or just being preventive in general, whether you consider it hardcore harm reduction or not. Um, it's the being preventative versus being reactive that I think folks have to get more, uh, you know, in line with, get closer to. Just because it doesn't lead to, let's say, a quote unquote, because we're in the time, a stimulus check in your pocket doesn't mean that it's not effective and doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. Um, and so I think folks have to, you know, raise their level, step it up, step up their game as far as being politically educated and educated about how money is, you know, used and how it's shared and how it's passed on uh, to folks. Um, but, you know, also, I think we have to be very mindful of the 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 poverty pushers, the poverty pimps um, who yeah. are in the community and align themselves as being people of the community and representing the community who, like I said earlier, won't push with sound public health because they don't want to have those tough conversations. And so they find ways to make things into fake news. They find ways to turn any solution into a, a but a negative, a but, a but, a but, a, a, a downside yeah. to everything. And in the end, 20 years later for some people or five years later for some people, what changes have been made besides the you know, the regular comments about what can't happen. Um, if you're not being solutionary around something, if you're not willing to go with what makes sense um, as far as, you know, science and data and 
uh, you know, everything we have in front of us uh, says has been effective or at least a start to effective uh, effectiveness, then what are you, you know, continuing to bark about what isn't happening or what isn't what, you know, isn't working? You haven't tried yet. You haven't really done anything outside the box. You know, if you have city officials or, you know, uh, local group members or leaders who are still complaining about the same thing. And yet every time something is put to the table, they never have anything nice to say and never want to move forward. And or it's always about that one viewpoint or two or three points and never about the six, seven, eight, nine and ten points. Um not thinking that sometimes you have to start a little bit further down the line to get towards your end goal, then those people don't need to be in leadership. Those people don't need to be uh, organizers of people. Um, those folks can steward their own uh, issues or their own insecurities by themselves, but they should not be leading, uh, you know, your group. They should not be leading you I- as, as you know as, as a community because the only thing they're doing is you know throwing stones. They want to throw rocks at buildings, but they don't want to go into buildings, actually have conversations. And if you need to blow it up, and I'm saying this, you know, uh, not literally, but figuratively, if you need to blow up the system and change things, you do that from the inside as well as have pressure from the outside. You can't have it one way and not the other. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, you, you remind me because I've, I've had the, the, the pleasure of having been involved with Prevention Point from the onset when it started in 92. And all of the naysayers that said, this isn't going to work. You guys are you know, enabling, you're doing this, you're doing that. And the reality is, is that here it is almost 30 years later, you know, and you're talking about, um, oh, 10,000 people in 10 years, 10,500. You know, that number could be a lot larger because if those individuals had gotten infected and had contact with other people's outside of their normal lifestyle due to, you know, sex work and everything else, those numbers would have been higher. And even the, 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 the fact that throughout all these years, people have said, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. Don't give out clean syringes. Don't give them water and all this other stuff. But no one has ever come up with an option or an alternative to what we were doing. And we've proven through the last, you know, since 1992 to now that it actually works. It has been impactful. It has saved lives. It has saved tons of money. You know, when you talk about endocarditis, when you talk about abscesses, when you talk about cotton fever, when you talk about HIV, when you talk about overdoses, you know, the lives that have been saved, you know, it's important, but no one wants to acknowledge that. And you get the same people that continuously say, no, don't do that. That's wrong. You guys are doing horrible work. That is so wrong. But will not acknowledge the impact that it's had, the positive impact that it has had on people and the economy. And they won't bring another solution to the table to say, let's try this. Everything is like, no, that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. And we have people that the same people that keep coming to these meetings. And like you said, they shoot everything down and never propose anything other than get rid of them. You know, just eliminate them, get rid of them. And 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 it's not working. Your do-nothing mentality, your just, you know, eliminate them doesn't work. 
And as a black, it hasn't worked in the last thirty years. Yeah, thirty years to be light. And as a, a, yeah. a black man and as a brown man, I'm sure you will, you know, certainly agree. You know, we've always been on the bottom of the totem pole as far yep. as you know. Uh, respectability, not to ourselves, but from an external community and who would be the first to get clipped off. And, you know, what we don't want to happen is to, you know, always feel like folks are trying to clip people off because if they're going to clip those people off, who do you think they're coming for next? You know, they're not going to skip, you know, the, the, you know, poor brown or black non-drug user, you know, when the, you know, the, the truck comes running through, um, you know, with, you know, issues of, of, you know, trying to separate us and divide us. Um, they're going to run you right over too. So, you know, especially, you know, people living in poverty, especially people of color, if you don't recognize that your success is tied into the success of, you know, everyone that's around you, even the folks who are unhoused, even the folks that are using drugs, even the folks that are doing sex work, even the folks who, you know, have to cut corners to make ends meet, um, you know, on a middle class level, then we're going to be really asking for trouble as we, you know, are dealing right now in a society that clearly does not have the care, uh, you know, in mind for everyone is only a lot of times thinking about the care of, of some people. So, you know, we need to make sure that the people that we vest our time, energy and money into to represent us are really being solution oriented, not, you know, bully pulpit oriented. Uh, We need to make sure that we hold them accountable on a regular basis on all levels. We need to make sure that we're active on all levels. And to me, a not in my backyard mentality when it comes to progress is one that's going to be very detrimental to the progress of people overall. So I agree. We, we have to, you know, I think get away from that because it, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked yeah. and it's not going to work and you will be next, uh, whether you recognize I, it now or not. And I, and I, and I, you know, as we, as we come down toward to the end of this, but you know, my, my thing is that if not in your backyard, I get it. Then where and how, because just saying, I don't care, not here, is not an option. Not having a solution, not having anything positive to put forward to actually, you know, have an impact within the community and with the, with the, with the problems at hand, you know, that's not an option. You just can't say no just because. You know, my, we, we grew up, a lot of us grew up with that because I said so mentality, and that mentality doesn't work. Just because you say no, not here, and no, I, I don't want to do that, doesn't mean that that's the only option. There are options, and we have to have, you know, people have to be open-minded. And at some point, I'm hoping that, you know, we'll be able to have that impact, or people's eyes will be opened, and see that from a human, from a humanistic standpoint, treating people like human beings, and with uh, some kindness and gentleness, and just flat out love and compassion, we are going to be able to do more and change more of the problems that we're having than just brute force, knock them over the head and drag them away mentality. What did Dr. Martin Luther King say? I think Dr. Martin Luther King said something and I'm probably paraphrasing, but you know, you know, hate does not drive out hate. Love does that, you know? 
Yeah. And so, you know, we we need to like practice more love for people overall, um, more compassion and understanding, less stigma and judgment and understand that we're all interconnected and uh, not in my backyard. I mean, you know, just to, you know, say one more thing, which is if you don't want, you know, help in your neighborhood and you want to just and just and the people who need the help to their neighborhood, what's to say that they want that, you know, those people and that help in that neighborhood? Um, there is nothing to say that. So if you have an yeah. issue that you need to deal with, you need to deal with that issue head on. You don't skirt, you know, the effort you know, by trying to put it on someone else's doorstep, you know, you skirt, you, you deal with the effort head on, you expect that folks that are supposed to be representing you and helping you have that same, uh, you know, frame of, of mind, you know, and, and you deal with it head on. Like I said earlier, I think communities like Kensington and places all over the country who are dealing with crisis, whether it's around poverty or drug use or whatever the case, have amazing opportunities right now. If they're open minded to deal with situations head on and be beacons of light for not the country, you know, their area, the world on how to deal with people um, who are typically given the cold shoulder. Um, and, and, you know, we need to like get more on that page, uh, moving forward. So, you know, that's, that's what we're all about. And hopefully, you know, uh, we'll continue these conversations, get more people thinking, and maybe we'll get someone who wants to get more organized either as a group or as individuals and join in this cause. Cause this is harm reduction. Um, but we have to have those hard conversations you know, to keep people honest and keep people aware and moving forward, not backward. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, as we as we close out, I I want to say thank you. You know, thank you guys for listening to those hard conversations. I'm Elvis Rosado. I'm Clayton Rooley, THC podcast, those hard conversations. Thanks for listening to THC. Follow us on Facebook at Those Hard Conversations or visit our website at thosehardconversations.com.